Coming to you live, this is your MTG Action Forward News Team. Hello, this is your MTG Action Forward News Team. Thanks for taking the time to get the latest updates from us. I'm Mr. Commodore number five. And this is Murphus. And of course, it is time for your not-so-accurate set review. Uh, of course, this is when your CMD Tower team gives their very inaccurate thoughts, opinions, and feelings about the latest set getting thrown at us to deplete our piggy banks. And of course, we're talking about everyone's favorite Fast and Furious franchise. I mean, Magic the Gathering Plane, Neon Dynasty, Kamigawa. Um, Murphus, this basically seems like Cyberpunk met Fast and Furious. How are you consuming this set? Uh, I am consuming it with my mouth wide open, <laughs> drinking out of a fire hose. Uh, this, I didn't realize we were in spoiler season until like a preview season until it was almost over. Uh, it, it just came so fast, but it's scratching a lot of the itch that I have from a lot of different, uh, on a lot of different levels. So I'm here for it. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we've revisited the the Kamigawa Elder Dragons, I guess the best way to kind of describe it. They're very cool. It's like they're not as powerful as others. We're visiting sagas to where, oh, your saga's done. Instead of it going to the graveyard, it turns into this disgusting creature. That's pretty amazing. We're getting, like, spell reductions. I mean, this really is scratching a lot of things I think the Magic community has wanted, whether you're a 60-card constructed player or a commander player, right? Yeah, I think so. Like, sagas have been uh, a pretty significant hit since they came on the scene back in Dominaria, and uh, I, I was just actually, uh, I talked about this in my, uh, multicolor, uh, set review for Commander's Herald, like the idea of sagas being, uh, uh, I think Rosewater talks about it as a deciduous mechanic. Like they come back, they're not every set, but they're going to be a recurring theme feels really good. Um, they're evocative. The art is beautiful. The card design is beautiful. And then, um, them flipping the creatures caught me, caught me completely off guard. Oh, I'm totally used to kind of like, right. Yeah. I'm kind of used to like the almost planeswalker formula of do the small thing, do a slightly bigger thing, do the biggest thing. <laughs> but flipping into a creature, especially some of the, uh, some of the sagas are bananas on the backside. Um, so, uh, I was super excited about that. I think there's a lot of cards that bridge the power, uh, that bridge across the power spectrum for EDH and that are, I mean, I remember uh, when previous season started, like people were talking about shakeups all the way back to legacy, which was wild to me for like a standard legal set to have that kind of impact. Uh, I'm, I'm still not used to that even after throne of Eldraine and ruined vintage. So uh, hashtag uh, trash set. Uh yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna debate that because uh, that's the truth. And, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's really hitting a lot. Getting ninjas back was so cool. That was a mechanic that needed to be expanded. Samurai is such a uh, such an important creature type in terms of its ability to create resonant feelings, especially with like the fandom 
kind of overlap that you get in magic of people who were who grew up on like anime and that kind of thing and yep. um and then all the tropey cards are just so great um and walking that fine line between the tropes and care that they went into for like the cultural consultation and stuff I don't know. I've just been really, really impressed with the set, but also the thought behind the set. Yeah, I feel like they did a lot of great thought. And I will say when we all saw that it was Neon Dynasty in 2021 and we saw it was basically Cyberpunk 2077, a lot of people gave this set a lot of crap. Um and I could say this with full confidence. Uh, some people like to believe in the mystical leprechauns that is Watsy. Uh, they did not hear our negative outcry and then re-pivot the entire set. These sets are planned years in advance. The art is commissioned years in advance. Just because they saw everyone hating on the name eight months ago doesn't mean that they redid the entire thing. Because to be honest, Murphy... When I look at this set, it almost seems like they heard the fan outcry of you can't be effing kidding us with this nonsense. And oh my gosh, this is this is exactly what we wanted. Like it's just it complete it was a complete psych out. I, I mean, I don't know if you feel that way. I definitely feel like I was gonna be walking into Cyberpunk 2077 Secret Layer and I got true Kamigawa. Yeah, I, I was right there. So I started playing on the tournament scene and like, well, not the tournament scene, I guess doing FNM and like type two. And sure, all that sure. Stuff during in the in the shadow of Mirrodin block and affinity standard. Uh, so I was I was playing in Champions of Kamigawa. The first box I ever bought was a Champions box and uh, open up trash cards like Azusa Lost But Seeking and whatnot. So uh, uh I was really skeptical, honestly, like jumping into the future. So much of what I loved about Kamigawa was like the, some of the strangeness of it, the foreignness of it to somebody who's a Westerner like me. Um, uh, and I loved the whole conflict of the spiritual versus the, the, the secular or worldly. And I think sure. they really leaned into that even harder. Uh, they even talked about that from a design perspective, talking about the, the uh, antithetical poles of artifice and enchanting, right? Enchantments and artifacts existing at two ends of a spectrum that are, that is the conflict. Um, there, I didn't know what to think of vehicles coming back. I'm going to be really honest. I didn't know what to think of uh, Commander Precon Gundam, um, but I've I I've been blown away and shocked and surprised at how much I have enjoyed uh, previous season, but also enjoyed like some of the tropes, like modified as a mechanic. I think is really tropey and fun and. Reminds me of like every dystopian sci-fi novel and movie I've ever seen um, where people are getting like mechanical eyes because their their real eye wasn't good enough and that kind of thing. So um, overall impressions, I've I've really enjoyed it and I came in very skeptical. Well, awesome. Well, let's let's get into some of these mechanics like Modified. There are two new mechanics, three returning mechanics. 
Um, and you know what? We wouldn't be... We couldn't actually call ourselves a not-so-accurate set review if we didn't actually talk about mechanics. Because, let's be honest, our actual card thoughts are completely off the grid. We are the ones that said Throne of Eldraine was a trash set. Hashtag forever uh, CMD Tower, uh, you know, splat on our face. But we have to bring the mechanics with the truth. So we have the first mechanic here, Reconfigure. And Murphus, this mechanic pisses me off to no end. Reconfigure represents two activated abilities and a bit more. And if you guys are curious, I'm going to dumb this down for you. You know what the two activated abilities are? Equip. That That's it. It's either equip to a creature or unequip from a creature. That's it. Oh, you want to know what the bit more is? When it unequips, the equipment becomes a creature as well. This is stupid. I'm done. I that is a blazing blazing take I I think reconfigure is great I think it's wordy right it's wordy but it is gonna play so cleanly and play in a way that is intuitive right like mutate sucks to explain right going back to Ikoria that's fair that's that's super fair and like it makes no sense rules wise but what they did with mutate is they said we are going to configure rules, configure the rules to work around something that's intuitive for the play experience, which is I'm going to put a bunch of creatures on top of each other. They're all going to be one creature and it's going to be super cool in the same way. Reconfigure, I think, is going to play really cleanly. And there's some I think they were able to dial up the power of some of these reconfigure equipments because they don't have the actual equip text, uh, which is something I'm pretty excited for because you. You don't get to just auto-equip on some of that stuff. Uh, you do get to still attach with things like Sigarda's Aid, but um, I'm I'm super stoked on the flexibility. Uh, so I don't I don't I don't even know what you're talking about, man. I don't the I don't old, know. How about this? I would be all for it if you could reconfigure at instant speed, and the reconfigure cost was a little bit more prohibitive than the equip cost. I would be okay with that because then it's a little bit like, and of course I'm drawing a blank on the, uh, the black equipment where it's like black, black, you can attach it at instant speed. Cranial plating. Cranial plating. It's a little bit like cranial plating, but you know, you could make it a little bit more prohibitive. I would be okay with that. But just coming in here to make a complicated mechanic that I'm going to have to now explain to people like, Oh, are you reconfiguring? No, I'm unequipping. Well, I think you're reconfiguring. Go to hell. Yeah, I do. I do think there is going to be some confusion about why these are two different mechanics. And the reminder text is going to be aggravating and helpful at the same time, which is a really frustrating place to be. Um, But again, like I don't instant speed feels strange to me because the nice thing about this is you're not you're not sinking an equip cost and then losing that value if the creature gets tagged by a removal spell in response right but you so like, are because it's already a creature before you try to reconfigure it so you're still right. losing the cost kind of right so so <laughs> you're you're paying the cost but it, you're not you're not net zero so if I go to equip a sword of light and shadow to uh, a grizzly bear and sure. you nuke my grizzly bear out of the sky, 
I'm just left with a piece of cardboard on the battlefield that doesn't do anything until I have another creature and mana to equip to that creature. If you tag a Simeon Sling, which is a one mana cost equipment monkey 1-1 that gives equipped creature 1-1, and whenever it it or equipped creature becomes blocked, it deals a damage to defending player. That's a very wordy common. Um, (laughs) So maybe that goes to your point. Uh, but if I go to equip a Simeon Sling and you nuke my Grizzly Bear in response, I still have a creature. Like, it's it's not completely dead cardboard. And I think that's what I like about it is that it doesn't f- it doesn't garner as much of a feel-bad as going for a hef- hefty equip cost and losing the target. But Murphy, if it reconfigured at a higher mana and it was at instant speed, it's the same. Because it would be like, if I paid two with Sword of Light and Shadow, and it fizzled, that sucks. Or if I paid four with Simeon Monkey, and I at least got a 1-1 one, one out of it, it's still an advantage. That's my point, is we could do it at instant speed, have it be the higher mana, and then the quote-unquote drawback you have of your creature getting nuked isn't even there. Because it's like, well, at least I still have a 1-1 one, one left, or whatever the creature is. That was more my point. This seems a lot like Companion Redacted. Like, once they said Companion had to be sorcery speed, what's it, two or three mana to get it from the Companion Zone to your hand, then you have to cast it. It's like, okay, you've now made this really shitty and no one wants to play it. That kind of seems like Reconfigure. You guys made it sorcery speed and kind of expensive, so it's kind of shitty, so no one actually wants to play it. The blazing, blazing hot takes on one of the most broken mechanics in the history of design in Magic the Gathering. Companion nerf (laughs) hot takes. The hot take that I heard you say, Mr. Combo, was that it was a mistake to nerf companions. Oh, absolutely. I want that on the record as Luris has a 35% build rate in modern still, even post-nerf, and was banned in vintage. So I just like, just to just uh, narrate what's going on, Collective. Yeah, I, uh, let's, let's do it. That's uh, just for the record, uh, Mr. Combo number five, uh, nerfing companions was a mistake. Uh, uh, agreed. Watsy. And uh, make sure to tag him on Twitter in those responses. So. Well, uh, this is perfect because I'm about to give another hot take. Modified is the dumbest thing to ever hit the playground. Uh, let's just add more words for stuff we already have. Uh, modified, guys. This means any creature you control that's equipped, enchanted by an aura you control, or that has a counter on it. Why do we need more descriptors for more cards, I feel like blankety blank Rogan right now. Just the world's hating me. I'm giving out hot, hot takes. And people are just throwing stupid shit at me. But at least mine has validity other than that crazy ass hat. How do you feel? I, fam, I'm coming in a lot cooler on <laughs> uh, on Modified. It feels a lot like um, flavor rules text, like from AFR, like it's describing it's just it's a it's not a. It's essentially an adjective describing uh, a state of one of the game pieces, right? Like it's not it's not mechanically relevant as much as it's 
codifying what's happening mechanically, which I know that that distinction. I don't know if I said that the right way. I'm I'm actually pretty high on it. I think that over time, if they reiterate modified over and over and over again, we're going to end up in a place where it actually feels really good. And it's the thing is, it's intuitive. Like, that's what I like about it is. An equipped creature, an orified creature, or a creature with counters on it is a modified creature. It's modified. That's what it is. Technically, so like, you're right. why not? Why, why not? Why not call it modified? Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm going to have to disagree with you. I think I think that this is actually. I don't think it's great. Like I don't think it's reconfigure great. I think reconfigures great. Uh, this is fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, you know, I, I think I'm going to start having my fiance uh, call me modified because I believe if I have eight plus one plus one counters on me, uh, that makes me modified as well. Uh, wink, wink, uh, adult joke. Uh, just kidding. I, it's more like three negative one, negative one counters. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 I do not like us adding in verbiage on cards just to do it because here's the thing murphus modified is not going to reduce the amount of rules text on other cards you could argue trample coming up with the word trample reduces card text on other cards therefore makes sense modified actually isn't reducing any card text on any cards they're still going to have all the card text for equip for auras hand for counters none of that's going to change so all we did is now create this convoluted mechanic that's like oh if we have the perfect trifecta like freaking ocarina of time now we have modified that that's why i'm not a fan of it yeah i mean to each their own right i i think that it doesn't actually add anything mechanical but it just groups those mechanics together in a way that's relevant and intuitive and so like you're right it doesn't reduce rules text, but what it does do is clarify a group of rules text as being related. Um, and, you know, I, that is what it is, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, it's ultimately it's gameplay fine. neutral. It's fine. That's fair. It's, uh, it's fine. It's, it's fine. fine, man. It's fine. Jerry, Jerry, it's fine. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Uh, well, so the next three are all repeat mechanics. The first one, Saga. Saga's guys are basically enchantments that have fake counters on them to an extent. And when they hit three, you have to sacrifice the enchantment. The interesting thing is that in Neon Dynasty, a lot of these sagas, I don't know if not all of them, their in-state transforms them into a creature. Which yeah, I think it's is true for very, all of them. That's very different. So let's just take a couple minutes here. Murphus, I I think that makes Sagas way more interesting if we could have that mechanic moving forward. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I I think it's really interesting space, and it came out of left field to me. Um, yeah. I, I was used to kind of the Planeswalker formula, right, of uh, do a small thing, do a slightly bigger thing, do the big thing. Um, but the big thing being a permanent that... Most of most of these sagas either get big or produce value when they flip. Um, but the way they flip is really interesting. It's keyed the same way as the Planeswalkers from Origins. 
so they don't transform like uh, werewolves, right? They actually exile and return to the battlefield. So whenever these sagas re-enter the battlefield, they trigger anything like Eidolon of Blossoms that would key off an enchantment entering the battlefield. But like the Kami War, for instance, uh, one Wooberg for an enchantment. Uh, chapter one, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls. Chapter two, return up to one target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, then each opponent discards a card. That's a lot of value. Um, yeah. That's, I would argue it's way better in 60 card formats if you can get the mana to work. But uh, And then chapter three, exile the saga and return to the battlefield transformed into Okagachi made manifest. Flying trample 6-6. Six, six. This card is all colors. When Okagachi made manifest attacks, defending player chooses a non-land card in your graveyard. Return that card to your hand. And then it gets plus X plus O where X is its mana value. I feel like, like that's pretty good in 60 card. That that feels really good. <laughs> the backside feels awesome in Commander. Like a situationally, a situational political, um, pseudo-political eternal witness effect, regrowth effect on a beater feels really good. And a lot of these sagas have that similar kind of vibe. And I, I really like that. And the art is beautiful on top of that. Yeah, totally fair. Well, the next one's Ninjutsu. Uh, this is one that, obviously, Yoriko is quite popular for. So Ninjutsu, guys, is basically if your creature goes unblocked in the Declare Blocker stage, you can activate Ninjutsu uh, from cards in your hand that have Ninjutsu uh, for whatever the mana cost is. And then you can basically replace it as the attacker on the field uh, and bounce that creature uh, back to your hand. So... That's pretty, I think we all knew that was coming, right? Yeah I, yeah, I mean, it was a given. They had to, otherwise there was going to be riots in the streets. Kind of curious, Bushido didn't come back. A little weird. Um, I, I know that's a little complicated of a mechanic, but... It's a trash mechanic. Bushido's bad. Anybody who says Bushido's good, uh, at me on Twitter, and we'll we'll fight about it. That's very true. But you know what isn't trash? Banding. <laughs> Uh, and then the last mechanic, the one I actually wanted to talk about is channel. So this is actually a mechanic I had not heard of. Um, each channel ability allows you to discard the card with the ability from your hand for an effect. So guys, essentially think of cycle cycling, how cycling you get to discard the card for a mana effect to draw a card. Channel essentially lets you do the exact same thing. It's just now you get an effect with it. So a perfect example is, hey, you could channel a card for a colorless green, discard it, go get a basic land from your library to your hand. Murphys, is this a mechanic we should probably see more of? I, I think you and I will disagree on this ultimately. Oh. That's, that's okay. I think channel is great. Oh, uh, I actually think it's great too. Oh, friends. <laughs> We're on the same page. Hallelujah. Uh, Hallelujah. Channel, channel is awesome. The fact that it's not keyed to sorcery speed is huge here because it allows you to keep mana open on your opponent's turns and it turns your cards into modal cards. Even at common, I'm thinking of uh, Greater Tanuki, which is an enchantment creature dog for six mana. It's a 6-5 trampler. That is, that's a pretty significant beater in yeah. limited but it's hard to get to six mana in limited, but you can pay two discard or two in a green discard it to go search for a basic and put it into play tapped. Like it makes it into a end game. Bad threat. Rampant Goof. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a rampant growth threat split card. And I think that that kind of flexibility is something that makes commander as a format tick. Yeah, I completely agree. And I would even say I could totally see the advantage for this in 60 card. Cause you could have four of these in the deck. It's like, Hey, I'm doing this anticipating that 50% of the time I'm going to go use it to get a basic land into play tapped. The other 50% of the time I'm getting a 6-5 Trampler out. Um, Commander, it's a little bit more, maybe I see it, maybe I don't. And that's where I think Murphus, to your point, it's even a better 100-card format card. Because, think about it, you're either going to see it early, early game, where you want to use it for three to go get a basic land. Or it's going to be super, super late game, where you want that 6-5 Trampler. So there's really not a bad situation for the card. Right. Anytime we can have a no downside situation with a card, I, I'm here for it, 100%. And the next thing we're never down for a bad situation is that amazing foil playmat and the CMD Tower Store. Hey there, Collective. Do you need a new playmat? Do you need some sleeves? Have you been forgetting your upkeep triggers well be sure to head over to cmdtower.com slash merch and be able to pick up all the great swag made for you guys it could be the mr comma number five reminder token it could be the squee mcgee get up and fight coin or heck even our foil playmat or jund holiday sweaters all of it's there go check it out and of course we're now at the point where you guys want to hear murphus and i's top cards in this freaking set. So as you guys know, we talk about our top card for creature, artifact, enchantment, instant, sorcery, planeswalker, land, legendary creature, and specialty card, which this episode shall be ninjas and samurais. So let's start with the creatures and Murphus. I think this card, it's a legendary, so it could be your commander. But I genuinely feel like this card is the best entry-level card for any person wanting to get into Commander. Kadama of the West Tree. Two colorless green, legendary creature, spirit, mythic. Get it for about $11. It has reach. It's a 3-3, so it can block flyers. Modified creatures you control have trample, so equipment, auras you control, and counters or modifications. Whenever a modified creature you control deals combat damage to a player, search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. The reason I'm making such a big statement as I am is the number one thing that helps fuel a magic damp is that ramp. You need mana. The most expensive part of all of Magic is having a good mana base. So basics is usually where people have to go. Having a deck filled with basics with no efficient ways to constantly get them out is very frustrating. And honestly, I would say that's probably what turns most people off of Magic. It's not, it's not that they don't have a Jace Mind Sculptor or a Grim Monolith. It's because they don't have a lot of ways to get mana out to play the cards in their hand. One of the easiest things in every pre-con of Commander in every draft set is modified abilities. Equipments, auras, and plus one counters specifically. Kadama of the West Tree in the 99 or in the Command Zone 
really makes playing budget magic so much easier. And honestly, I think it's going to make those mana bases just feel a lot more up-tempo. I, I like this pick a lot. I, I've i honestly been tempted to build a Kodama, a Kodama deck since it was spoiled because it's so efficient. Three mana, three, three, that rewards you for going wide with both effectively card advantage and mana advantage. It's That's straight up busted, and I think you're right. It's a great entry level like level zero commander for new players because it's rewarding them for doing the thing. And you know what's even uh, dumber? I mean, and I don't know East Tree's text off the top of my head, so I don't know if it's a general ETB, but gosh, East Tree paired with West Tree. West Tree gets a basic land out. East Tree triggers you put a land out from your hand and you're just like going ham skied. That's gross. Yeah, whenever another permanent enters the battlefield under your control, if it wasn't put onto the battlefield with this ability, you may put a permanent card with equal or less mana value. Oh my goodness. So good. At least they didn't make Kadama the West Tree a partner. Uh, in my heart, they did. <laughs> well, Murphys, what was in your heart for a creature? Yeah, mine is also a legendary creature. Um, it is a creature that I don't... It's so interesting. It's got a mountain of text. And I I kind of like, in the same way that Kodama was interesting, this is very interesting to me as a mono green commander. I just don't know how you would build it, but it feels like it fits a lot of places. Shigeki, Jukai, Visionary. One green for a 1-3 legendary enchantment creature, Snake Druid. Uh, one green tap, return Shigeki to its owner's hand, reveal the top four cards of your library. You may put a land card, not a basic land, a land card from among them onto the battlefield tapped and put the rest into your graveyard. And then it has channel for XXGG, discard Shigeki, return X non-legendary cards from your graveyard to your hand. So you get this, it's... Again, it's rewarding you for doing the thing, right? You're bouncing it. You're gaining card advantage and mana advantage. You're stocking your graveyard. And then at some point, you bounce it in response to a removal spell, discard for its channel costs, and restock mid to late game. I, I think that play pattern is going to be not only really powerful, but very good for avoiding things like, uh, like board wipes and stuff or coming back in the late game. You know, now I'm not saying Mariner Carador type decks want this, but Murphys, can we agree? Shigeki Jukai Visionary is a better Sakura Tribe Elder. Like, I feel like it, they cost the same mana to cast. It does have the mana to be able to do its effect. But if you're not in a Graveyard Matters deck, I think I would rather have Shigeki because it's repeatable. Like, I know some people put Sakura Tribe Elder in decks just to have it as a chump blocker to go get a basic land. I think I'd rather have this. Right. I, I, I'm I not going to get the Hyper Geo out to to do the math because that would be that would be a tremendous bummer and we'd be here for an hour while I try to learn how to use a Hyper Geometric Calculator. But the top four isn't going to give you a ton of hits. I think you have to be in a deck that actually... I would argue a deck more like Marin would want Shigeki, not in place of Sakura Tribe Elder, 
but with it because it's constantly restocking the graveyard, right? Like even if you don't hit a land, you're piling resources into the yard to rebuy. Um, So this is almost like that colorless green. I think it's an elf druid when it ETBs, reveal the top four of your library, put a land uh, from among them into your hand, the rest into your graveyard. Right. uh, Say your Wayfinder, right? Say your Wayfinder. Yeah. Um, it, It is. It feels a lot... To me, it feels a lot closer to Seder Wayfinder than it does to Sakura Tribe Elder, even though Sakura Tribe Elder is where I went when I first saw it. I was like, oh my god, this is it. Um, this this is the first card in a long time that has my wheels turning to build a monocolored deck. Like Very I can't, cool. I can't since 2015, I haven't really been jazzed at the idea of building a monocolor commander, but this is so interesting and provides a unique entry point, but it's also such a powerful utility card. Like if I wasn't wrapped into singleton across all of my decks, I would, I would play this in a number of them. Very cool. Well, I think we're going to go to enchantments next, and I'm going to come out there, and I'm going to give you another hot take, Murphys. This is a Rakdo staple permanently. Hidetsugu consumes all. Um, It's so good. I, I don't know how you make an argument this isn't a staple for Rakdos. Colorless Rakdos, that's a black and a red. It's an enchantment saga. So when an ETBs, you have to put a lore counter on it. And then after your draw step, you add a lore counter to it. The first lore counter it gets, it does this. Destroy each non-land permanent with mana value one or less. Okay, it's maybe hits a soul ring. Maybe hits a soul ring. Let's just what about my there. chrome mocks? Oh, no. Or all your tokens. That also. But let's just say it hits one single soul ring for three mana. Worst case scenario. Okay. Well, the next time it gets a lore counter, guys, exile all graveyards. Well, that's pretty good. People get real pissy when Bajuka Bog happens. That only happens to one person. Everyone doesn't. <laughs> everyone loses a graveyard. That's that's just great. Well, then once it gets that third lore counter, it does get exiled and transforms into Vessel of the All-Consuming. 3-3 three, three, Enchantment Creature Ogre Shaman with Trample. Whenever Vessel of the All-Consuming deals damage, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Whenever Vessel of the All-Consuming deals damage to a player, if it has dealt 10 or more damage to that player this turn, they lose the game. There are so many ways you can bust that third effect on the reverse side of this card to where you win the game on the spot. Uh, Through ping effects, it doesn't say combat damage, it just says damage. There's a lot of ways you can do it. Even if someone can't have their life total, you know, manipulated per se, damage still happens. That can get rid of a lot of that. Um, oh my gosh. It just Murphus, I, I can't put it into words, man. This card gets me all sorts of hot and heated. How about you? Uh, this card's busted. Um, Rakdos staple, 100%. Uh, Jund, Grixis, whatever, right? Like, because <laughs> I think we're we're paying for effects. It reminds me, chapter one reminds me of a bad culling ritual, which a bad culling ritual would still probably see play, right? Like it doesn't yeah. give you the mana advantage, but it tags everything. And with how important treasures are in the modern, 
like in the contemporary fabric of EDH, like treasures are the thing. Like they are so important and tagging all of your, all of the treasures at the table, even on sorcery speed disrupts a lot of plans often. Um, we play cards for that. We play cards to exile graveyards almost exclusively. I think of Bajukabog. I think of Soul Guide Lantern. And then being able to convert those two cards plus an endgame threat that literally reads target player loses the game if it gets big enough. I, I think it's really great. The other thing I like about it is that Vessel of the All-Consuming, the backside of Haidetsugu, it makes cards uh, like Giant Growth into into actual game ending cards, which I Colossus think Colossus Hammer. Colossus Hammer becomes a game ending threat. Um, I there's a lot of bad cards <laughs> that become <Yeah. laughs> really cool with Vessel of the All Consuming on the battlefield. I think that's what I like about it is it opens up a lot of unique brewing space. Yeah, I I could not agree more. Well, Murphus, what was your enchantment? And I'm going to take a flyer and say it's probably a saga as well. Uh, it it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. It, All right, it's interesting because there was it was really close for me. Um, for a while, I was on Weaver of Harmony, which is like doubles up activated abilities and enchantments. I think that's pretty cool. But I think the card I'm most excited about is actually Fable of the Mirror Breaker, which is an enchantment saga. It costs 2R for a saga. Uh, Chapter 1, create a 2-2 red goblin shaman creature token with whenever this creature attacks, create a treasure token. Treasures are so important. Um, And your saga generating mana advantage if you get to un, like move through your next untap step is really cool. Uh, you chapter two, you may discard up to two cards. If you do draw that many cards, being able to refill your hand and, or filter through bad cards in your hand, you love to see it. And then chapter three, it flips to reflection of Kiki Jiki, a two, two goblin shaman enchantment creature. It has one tap, Create a token that's a copy of another target non-legendary creature you control, except it has haste. Sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. So it doesn't quite become Kiki Jiki Mirror Breaker, but it's very close, right? Like making it cost one mana uh, was probably the best design decision they they made. And I wish that they had done that to Kiki Jiki, make it keyed off mana. Um, the ability to copy create token copies of uh of creatures you control is no joke like it's it's virtual card advantage it can become really explosive really fast and it's in a very sneaky way it gets around um summoning sickness right like yeah you a creature etbs it's great you make a copy with reflection of kihijiki that copy has haste and so you just move into the red zone or do whatever you're going to do with it. I think there's a lot of flexibility with Reflections of Kiki-Jiki. And at three mana, I like where it's sitting at at the curve, too. So two things. One, I like the design of this card because the transformation does keep it as an enchantment creature. So right. it does check two uh, removal boxes. Hey, if you have an enchantment removal, you can get rid of it. If you have creature removal, you can get rid of it. 
it, I think if it would have flipped into a land, it would have been a little too unfair. It would have been harder to get rid of. Right. Second thing, uh, I'm putting this in my Brutoclad deck, hands down, because that first effect, if I could turn all my tokens into 2-2 two, two Goblin Shamans, that when they attack, they make a treasure token, which gets me more tokens, that's stupid. That that's is filthy. Busted. Oh that's my so gosh, gross. I didn't even think about that. That seems really good in Brutoclad. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, I'll, I'll be picking up my copy number 357 with the Kiki Jikis ASAP for $5.70 before this thing becomes 20 bucks because um, that seems a perpetual nightmare for my opponents. Yeah, 100%. All right. Uh, what, well, what's next for us? Well, next for us is going to be the land. And I we might be aligned on this one. This is something that I really, really liked because I've started playing Crucible of the Worlds a little bit more. And so I actually like the channel effect of this card. I know I was giving it shit earlier, but the green one seems quite chef's kiss. For the cheapest copy is $35. Besiju Who Endures. Legendary land that taps to add a green and has channel for a colorless green. Discard it. Destroy target artifact, enchantment, or non-basic land in the opponent controls. That player may uh, search their library for a land card with a basic land type, put it onto the battlefield, and shuffle. This ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. So essentially, you could just discard it for a single green. If you run Crucible of the Worlds in your deck, you should probably, and green, you should probably just have this in there. Right? And this, I mean, $35 is a lot of money, but this card's stupid, right? It, this card's crazy. I don't know. There was a lot of hype very early on in preview season about the place of Beseju in Legacy Lands as a way to... Um, it seems like a really great effect um, staring across the table from Mishra's... Or not Mishra's Workshop. Uh, from um, like Staxi decks. Oh, okay. And even in you know, even in vintage, I guess, like staring across the table from things like Mishra's workshop or Mishra's factory, Mishra's workshop, the one that makes three mana for artifacts, like those kind of decks, this is going to be able to punish. Um, it is a real downside that they get to search for a land with a basic land type. So they yep. can get shock lands, they can get triomes. Um, but the thing about this is that it's un, it's not readily counterable. If I go to yeah. naturalize your your uh, whatever your mind slaver, um, that doesn't counter work. spell done. Yeah, you, you can't counter spell over negate over just uh, this. You yeah. have to have a stifle. You have to have a stifle bird. You have to have a way to counter an ability. And I think that's really what makes this land cycle so powerful is that they're really hard to interact with. I agree. A anything that it's like, hey, one of the few ways you can deal with this is disallow, and a force of will can't do it. You you're on to something there. Um, I'm curious, though, what was the land that you picked? So, Besaju is at the top of my list for, uh, for my uh, baby, my baby deck, uh, the one, my four-color bay. Um, but actually, I'm really high on Takanuma Abandoned Mire. 
which is the black one in the cycle, ETBs untapped. That's huge for these lands is that they they actually enter the battlefield untapped, which is bananas. Uh, like these cards would be much less playable if they entered the battlefield tapped. But it is three black discard Takanuma. Mill three cards, then return a creature or planeswalker card from your graveyard to your hand. What I like about this is A, that it's instant speed. It's generally going to cost two or three mana. It's rarely going to cost four. The decks that want this want it really bad. They they want a land taking the place of a basic swamp or something that can rebuy a creature from their graveyard in response to something like a Jukabog, right? Um, this card gives like my Anya reanimator deck, um, which is pretty fair. Like it's fast, but it's fair. It's not like world gorger bust filter Anya. This gives it some play against soul guide lantern against uh, rest in peace. And I like that added play for graveyard matters decks. This gives a really neat instant speed way to interact with effects that really those decks didn't have a tool for before. I mean, I'm telling you right now, this is going to Lord Windgrace. This is busted in, in Windgrace. Like, oh, you've killed Windgrace enough times now? Well, I'll just use Takanuma to get it back to my hand. And then, oh, by the way, Windgrace gets Takanuma back from the graveyard to my hand. And it's just, like, almost endless. Um, <laughs> this card in the right deck is going to be very good. Yeah, it just it lets you grind. It's it's not the most powerful of the cycle. I would say the the blue and green variants of the cycle are the most powerful, and it's it's not particularly close. Um, but I think Takanuma in the right lists is going to do a lot of work. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, the planeswalkers that we're going to talk about, I'm going to shock everyone. I'm talking about mono white. Because I actually think the Wandering Emperor is very, very good. Two colorless, white, white, legendary planeswalker mythic. It has flash. As long as it entered the battlefield this turn, you may activate her loyalty abilities anytime you can cast an instant. Comes in with three loyalty, and it has three effects. Plus one, put a plus one, plus one counter on up to one target creature. It gains first strike until end of turn. Minus one, create two, two white samurai creature token with vigilance. Minus two, exile tapped creature, you gain two life. I like this a lot because mono white, for the most part, is boring as shit. Everyone hates it, and everyone wishes it would go away and turn into purple. Let's just be honest. The mythical color that we saw previewed, purple, we want mono white to turn into that. This makes combat tricks interesting giving you a commander that you could do a combat trick with. It could be a defender trick with. Um, it could be an exiled combat trick. I, I love it all. It's really making white kind of cool and not just, oh, you took a, a blue effect and made it shittier. Good for you. Yeah, the fact that like she has that writer text where if she entered the battlefield this turn, you can activate her loyalty abilities at instant speed. I love the flexibility of, um, I don't know, I, I saw some discourse on Twitter uh, from the design team about how hard it was to balance this card. And that makes me really hopeful about how good it would be. 
because that's a flash cool. planeswalker is huge. Like we've never had that before. That's that is bananas to me. Yeah, because really the closest thing we've had to it is the Teferi Time Master that it can activate his abilities at instant speed on everyone's turns, but you can't play him at instant speed. So I think we're starting to see some creative stuff they can do with Planeswalkers to where maybe it's not their activated abilities are busted. Maybe it's how they interact with the board state pushes the limits of the card. And that's going to force, like you talked about, the design team to be like, man, do we make this? Is this balanced enough? Or have we made another Oko? I like that they're checking themselves with that. And we were able to have a very cool card like this. Right. And I think the play pattern feels really good, right? Like end of turn, flash in wandering emperor, make a two, two samurai next sure. turn, tick up, make a three, three, like give it a counter and it becomes a three, three first strike vigilance. That's one heck of a, de- like a blocker, but it yep. allows you to play this offense defense and navigate that tension really well which i think is pretty cool very cool well murphus what was your planeswalker i have a feeling you might have gone ninjutsu oh man uh i thought about it but my heart was completed long ago and oh no tammy tamio our first phyrexian planeswalker uh won my heart uh Two green hybrid Phyrexian mana blue for a five loyalty planeswalker with completed, which says the hybrid Phyrexian mana can be paid with green, blue, or two life. If life is paid this way, this planeswalker enters the battlefield with two fewer loyalty counters. Really interesting. Like, <laughs> yep. Go ahead and write me an essay on the on the design implications of the completed mechanic on planeswalkers that seems insane and then it's it really this is like a best of tamios from the past right like um tamio the moon sage uh first ability really like tap up to one target artifact creature it doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step negative x rebuy a permanent card with value x from your graveyard uh by exiling it and making a token copy of it or ultimate, create Tamio's Notebook, a legendary colorless artifact token with spells you can, you cast cost two less and tap draw a card. Um, this is not... This, this is not your plan- grandfather's Tamio, that's for sure. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think it's the best Tamio that they've designed either. No. Like in terms of raw strength, I actually think it's somewhere between Tamio Collector of Tales and Tamio Field Researcher. Um but completed sage plays at this really interesting part of the curve where you're looking for something to generate value and be sticky uh, and having the flexibility to either cost four or five mana does a lot for this to fill the curve where you need it. The ultimate, if they let you get to the ultimate, you've already won um, rebuying permanent cards from your graveyard, uh, non-land permanents is huge. Like, Exiling and make a token. I love it. I, I I think it's really powerful and our format thrives on value like that. So uh so I'll just say this, Murphus. Um they could not have done a better job with completed the mechanic, which is interesting. They didn't even talk about that in their new mechanics 
section on the website because I definitely think completed should be mentioned because I think Phyrexian mana should have always had this downside. If you pay the two life, the card doesn't come in as good. So instead of five loyalty, she's going to come in with three loyalty. That's significantly worse. Just hands down for one turn earlier. So I love that design aspect of it. Um, I love that Tamio's Notebook is a legendary colorless artifact token. Because if they just would have made it a non-legendary token, people would have figured out a way to doubling season bust this thing. And it would have made it broken and unfun. So I think they checked all the boxes on it. They they did everything great. Um, I just hope this card isn't actually $22 because it doesn't seem like a $22 card to me. No, I my best guess is that's preview season hype. I'm not super high on this card for like relevant, financially relevant constructed. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, like at this point, standard is not financially relevant because it's not in paper, right? Like that's, this is an EDH game driving, driving this. And I, this isn't a $22 EDH card. It just can't be. Yeah, that's fair. Well, let's get over to the artifact section and this artifact kind of like the first creature I talked about Murphys. I talked about how this is really going to help budget players make decks. And I'm a big proponent of that. I think cards like blood sun make people able to make budget decks more efficiently because your mana base can be more efficient. Well, I think Eater of Virtue is a equipment that's going to make budget or even draft a lot more reasonable. One colorless legendary artifact equipment rare. Uh, whenever equip creature dies, exile it. Equip creature gets plus two plus zero. It has equipped for one. Here's why it's important. As long as a card exiled with Eater of Virtue has flying, Equip Creature has flying. The same is true for First Strike, Double Strike, Death Touch, Haste, Hexproof, Indestructible, Lifelink, Menace, Protection, Reach, Trample, and Vigilance. Whole lot of stuff on there. So, I love, I don't know about you, Murphys. Uh, this is one of the reasons I got turned on to Alter the Brood, Amulet of Vigor, uh, Reconnaissance, is one mana permanence and Commander. They're very sexy to me. They're very attractive, um, especially ones that kind of seem a little underwhelming on the face. This seems like a card that people aren't going to be keeping track of, and you're going to have it, and people are going to like, well, I'm going to attack, and you're like, okay, I block. They're like, haha, I have a 3-3, three, three, you have a 1-1, a one, one. and you're like, oh, but don't you remember? It has plus two plus O and double strike and indestructible and hexproof and protection and reach and vigilance and lifelink. And it's like, oh, I, I, I forgot all of that. Okay, I kill it. And then I gain three life. And it, it's just one of these things that's just always going to linger. And at one mana, this is not Shadow Spear. This card is not hits, hits the stack and people freak out. They more get confused. So it's going to be there the entire game. How do you feel about Eater of Virtue? Do you kind of see it in the same light I do? Yeah, so I think one mana equipments are in this really interesting space, right? Where it's like a scale of skull clamp to bone splitter, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, and, you know, thinking in terms of what is this closer to? Is this closer to a skull clamp? closer to a bone splitter. I mean, I, 
plus two plus oh for a one mana equipment that costs one to equip that that's exactly bone splitter like that is bone splitter from mirrodin right like one of the first mm-hmm. uh, the first equipment ever ever printed um but it honestly the value it generates feels closer on that spectrum not quite skull clamp because it's not raw card advantage but what sure. i like about this is that it helps recoup loss in for colors that might not be able to do that very well i'm thinking of like i i built a bad boros uh odric a while ago to try and prove twitter wrong uh so far twitter has been right so uh spoiler (laughs) alert but this card feels really good because one of the things that that deck has a really hard time coming back from is a literally any interaction at all yeah (laughs) uh and being able to recoup some of those keywords on a on something that's stickier, I like that a lot. Well, I mean, even think about non-spell slinger, is it? You know, there's not a lot of interaction there and not a lot of graveyard recursion. So it's like when you lose your creature, you lose your creature. And you could even make an argument, uh, Murphis, that this card is great for token decks. If you have keywords on your tokens, a lot of times when they die, they don't do anything. Well, at least they die with this, they get exiled and yep. impart that keyword upon whatever the creature had. Um, the interesting thing is going to be, and I would assume this works, if you have equipments equipped to that creature, because its equipped creature has those effects, and then you have this on there, when they die, does it get all the equipments effects? Because technically the creature had it? That's an argument. It's an argument. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that would work. And like, I don't know if that's, I don't know. Some of Magic's comprehensive rules are really stupid, and layers are really stupid. Um, oh God, I don't, layers! I, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly how they work. I even, I don't even know how the token thing would work, because the token is no longer the token no longer exists as soon as it's removed from the battlefield. Like it, that's fair. So, like, I, I like where your head's at, and intuitively, it makes sense to me that that would be the case. But this feels like one of those situations where what is intuitive is not necessarily guaranteed to be right. Well, uh, the good news, weird. the good news though, is that neither you nor I are over overthinking this because there is literally no rules text on the website so far. So at least it's not this glaring thing like, yes, morons, it works like this. So we do have a thought-provoking idea, and maybe someone is scratching the hair out of their skull about this. But Murphus, I'm curious, what's your artifact? Yeah, I I went with uh, something that I think is actually going to be pretty viable in 60-card formats, and that's really powerful in our format, and that's MindLink Mech. To you for a 4-3 vehicle with flying and when when it becomes crude for the first time each turn until end of turn it becomes a copy of target non-legendary creature that crewed it uh except it's four three it's a vehicle and it has flying here's the kicker as crew one that's so dumb crew one is uh like crew one is the danger zone that is the danger zone mechanically for that ability and for these designs. That is, um, was that Looter Scooter? Was Looter Scooter one? Uh, yes, it was. And that's why it got banned. 
Right. I I think Mindlink Mech gives a lot of play in logjam board states. I think that it allows you to generate a lot of value and it ultimately like clone effects that aren't just ETB clone are very intriguing. There's innate limitations that mean you have to actually think through what kind of interactions you're trying to multiply. Um, And Mindlink Mech really does that well. Uh, It improves your saboteur effects. If you're doing like a roguish kind of saboteur deck that like I tag you, you discard a card. This does that better than the other saboteurs because it's a 4-3 flyer, right? Um, You want to crew it with your your little goblin shaman that that makes a treasure token. It's now a 4-3 flying goblin that makes a token when it attacks. Um, it's so open-ended. And I think the open-endedness yeah. for this really is what resonates with me as a brewer and a builder. I will say, if you remember, Murphys, there was this big hubbub with, I believe, Throne of Eldranks. I think that's the first time they introduced colored artifacts into magic. A lot of people got really pissy about that. Bolus of Citadel, I think, was one of the very first artifacts to ever have a color and like its actual casting cost since since Alara block, yeah, it had been yeah. a long time. Um, Alara did a bunch of colored artifacts, and it didn't go super well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they reintroduced it in some core set and pushed it hard in Throne of Eldraine. So I'll say this: at the time, I was like, "Yeah, this is stupid. You guys are just creating more complexity. A lot of people know artifacts are colorless. We could put it in any deck." When I see cards like this, that makes me thankful they made colored artifacts. Because if this was colorless, this is a staple for every commander deck that's ever been printed. And it would be a $50 to $100 card, hands down. Yeah, I I think this moves in the staple range if it was colorless. And I think this this would be more analogous with something like Mirage Mirror. So like... $10 10 to $20 range is kind of where I would see it. Um, but I, th- I think you're right on. Without the colored pip, uh, this moves from a $3.50 card to a $20 card overnight. Um, yeah, but just think about it, though. Mirage Mirror, you have to have mana to sink into it. This, you just have to tap a creature. It's mm, way easier to it make it whatever easier. you want it to. Yeah. that Oh, man, that card's gross. But we don't have... That much time for all the disgusting cards because we're going to move over to instance. And this card is a mono red card in Murphys. This is going in my Zafi deck. Like, I don't know how I can't put Invoke Calamity into that deck or every yeah. spell senior deck. Uh, colorless red, 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 red for a buck 60. It's an instant. I may cast up to two instant and or sorcery spells with total CMC six or less from my graveyard and or hand without paying their mana costs. If those spells would be put into your graveyard, exile them instead, exile invoke calamity. I read this card and it's like, Oh, did, uh, did you really like that enchantment we came out with, you know, where you play it and then you get to, you know, escape from your graveyard, get to play more stuff. Did you like that? Did you do you like playing broken instance over and over and over again? Well, how about a five CMC instant that allows you to play multiple things? 
and also do the same thing. I don't know why this had to be printed. This seems like I'm not going to say it's like I don't think anything's ban worthy, but I think this is a card that if you see it hit the stack, everyone puckers up their butthole a little bit. Yeah, I think there's I see two scenarios where people play this. I would play this. I see the scenario where they target an X spell because they don't quite understand how it works. And then (laughs) it's, it's really, it's really sad. Um, And the other one is where there's some really powerful. um, Yeah. There's really powerful extra turn stuff or uh, yeah. Extra turn. Is it instant or sorcery that it exiles? Instant or sorcery. Yeah. So like, let's say you have a, um, a time warp and uh, whatever the million dollar other time warp is three blue, blue take an extra turn after this one that was printed in portal. Um, Like this becomes a double extra turn spell, you know, like, well, the, the total CMC doesn't have to be, it does have to be six or less total total CMC is six or less. For some reason I, I was thinking it was six CMC or less each. So um, at, at most, at most, you could do the five CMC, take an extra turn, and then like brainstorm type thing, right? Which is still really good. Oh I, yeah, I, I, I like this even early game. If you if you're playing like a teamer deck or something like that, or even gruel, and like I'm gonna recast a cultivate in a Kodama's Reach with this, that still is fine, right? Like. And really, even if this just picks up one instant or sorcery that's like four mana, it's still actually just fine. So the floor is really high. The ceiling isn't the highest, but I kind of like that. It's not game breaking. Well, I think something that we all have to accept is that magic has been around long enough that we have powerful cards. We aren't necessarily looking for more power. Really, what we're looking for is just more variety. So if we can get more mid-tier cards that are very, very, very good, but on their own aren't busted, I actually think that's a perfect blend for all of us. Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. Like, variety is going to be the bread and butter of the next season of design. Um, and pushing the power level to the nth degree might make some things interesting, but it ultimately homogenizes all the formats. So um, completely agree. Yeah. I like where your Um, head's at. And I'll just say this. I can't wait to cast this card and then bring back search to victory for my graveyard and do that card again. Cause that seems really stupid. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, give me your, instant card is it as stupid as invoke calamity uh mine's not nearly as sexy but it's exactly where i want to be uh discover the impossible to you for an uncommon instant uh look at the top five cards of your library exile one of them face down and put the rest on the bottom in a random order you may cast the exiled card without paying its mana cost if it's an instant spell with mana value two or less if you don't put it into your hand um, this is, this digs five deep for three mana, which feels really good that, yeah. um, uh, what's the MDFC that digs for an instant? Saloon Division. Saloon Division, Saloon Isle. Uh, 
dig 60 for an instant or sorcery. What Discover the Impossible does in casting it um, for free. Uh, for me, what I like about this is that it becomes live in Counter Wars on the stack. So you can dig five deep to find a, a counter spell or a mana drain or even a, uh, a memory lapse. Birds of Paradise, yeah. Anything two or less. Anything, any, well, it's instance, right? Like, yeah. or no, it, it is put a card. Yeah, exile one of the cards face down if it's an instant. So you can find anything, but if you're in a counter war, this doubles as a variable counter spell. Like, you can cast this in response with, depending on how you build your deck, a good possibility of actually being able to interact on the stack. And I like that flexibility. And the art is crazy good it's in, it's incredible yeah it's pretty cool i mean i don't know if i'll ever play this card just because the restriction of the and i, I think that's just where as a not as tuned player my brain goes murphus because if you read the card it's like well if you don't have an instant cmc two or less that you get the card seems kind of bad but it's like no you just paid three mana to look at the top five and you put one into your hand you still got a card, and the other cards didn't even stay in exile. They just went on the bottom of your library. So you just pay three mana to draw a card. So the the floor is very, I guess you would call it high. The floor is very high, but the ceiling in these particular circumstances could be higher. Um, so I don't know. This definitely seems like a card that for me would be a spice from a Bruising Builds perspective on... How often am I getting the value? And how often am I maybe even just cutting the fat off the top of the deck? See, and I, I would put this actually closer to um, closer to some of the necessities that you need for a deck to tick like card draw. Because mm. um, it's, it's card draw plus. It's card draw plus filtering plus the ability to potentially cast something. And so I think gotcha. you do have to build around it, but... I, I totally get what you're saying, right? Like it can, f it feels deflating when you don't get to do all of the things on it. And so yeah, and, I think that's- And I would argue every magic card probably feels that way. Right. And and this yeah. one in particular feels specifically like that because when you need it to hit the most, chances are it might not. And that's so, very fair. And so that's going to that's gonna feel bad. Um, yeah, I think- I think what's left is sorceries. So we do have sorceries. We got our amazing legendary pick. And then, of course, we have to hear about our specialty. So this sorcery, Murphus, I'm going to be honest. I feel this is a mono-white staple. I feel this is a two-color white staple. And then up above there, I think it becomes a standard where you make an argument because it is four white pips and the mana cost. Invoke Justice is stupid, broken, dumb. Colorless, white, 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 white sorcery. <sighs> Guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm very worked up here. Return target permanent card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It's not done. Then distribute four plus one plus one counters among any number of creatures and or vehicles target player controls. 
So you basically paid five mana, got any permanent from your graveyard back to the battlefield, and put four plus one plus one counters among any number of creatures you control. Murphus, this can't be a dollar seventy for long, right? Or is it just those four white pips are going to hold it back? I, I honestly think the four white pips are going to hold it back. Um, one white, 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 white is going to be hard to do in reliably in most two to three color decks. Definitely not four color or more. Um, and the ability though is super strong. Like the closest analog is probably Verdurous Gear Hulk. Uh, which ruled its standard format and is powerful enough for our format. Like, that card is good enough. This costs less mana and has a very similar effect. The flexibility of returning any kind of permanent from your graveyard to the battlefield is huge because in a pinch, this is a five-mana cultivate, right? Like, yeah. Five mana, pick up a fetch land and distribute four plus one plus one counters. Feels it feels okay. Like that that's a fine <laughs> fail case, but the ceiling is so high on what this card does. It catches you up, which is very much in White's wheelhouse. I I think this is a great pick. This is so good. Well, and for the most part, it, White usually is like return target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield, or return target permanent CMC three or less, AKA Sun Titan to the from the graveyard to the battlefield. If I can invoke justice and bring back omniscience and make my Atraxa plus four plus four for five mana, like get the fuck out of here. Like I'm owning the table right now. I think the only way they could have made this card more fair, Murphus, to be honest, is it should have just said any number of vehicles, target player controls. Like, you get the permanent and four plus plus ones on a vehicle, target player controls. That would have made it be like, ugh, all right, do I run it for five mana to maybe get a permanent back? Because I probably don't have any vehicles in my deck. That would be like, okay, buck 70, I see where you're at. But dollar 70 for this right now, I'm thinking about buying five or six of them just because I actually think I can run them in two color decks perfectly fine. And I think they'll be very impactful. So I think this is a card, guys, to keep your eye out for. Yeah, it's it's a great one. And um, I actually have a, um, yeah, a, a mono white sorcery as well. Um, oh, in, that's interesting. Yeah, in Brilliant Restoration. Three dub, 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 dub. Uh, for sorcery return all artifacts and enchantments from your graveyard to the battlefield. Replenish. Uh, three white return. Uh, do that. Three white do that. Um, is on the reserve list. It costs a million dollars. It's very good. And they haven't really printed a good analog. The four white pips is hard. I'm brilliant. Restoration all day is, is so good. It's asymmetrical. And they haven't printed an asymmetrical effect like this in a long time. Yeah, I like it. So I saw it when I was kind of going through the list. Um, for me personally, I would only have my enchantment deck that I'd probably run it in. Because I don't know if any of my other decks have enough to really make it impactful. But I think this is where I really kind of applaud Wizards for as much as they like to say they don't look at the cost of cards. 
this seems like a time where they looked at cost of cards and said, hey, let's figure out a way to get this effect back, but a little bit more price affordable. Or even, hey, this there's only one other symmet- asymmetrical effect like this. People will buy these booster boxes if we print something kind of similar. Let's figure it out. That's really where I like to tip my cap to them um, because it seems like they're listening to the community. Yeah, I, I think I think the looking out for players who are going to want to play Saga decks with a card that rebuys all of their Sagas and hits the niche of being a uh, a practical replacement for a reserve list card just feels like wins across the board. And, you know, uh, salute, Wizards of the Coast, you did it. You did the thing, and we Boy. are... We're all better for it. Only thing they could have done better. This spell costs one less for each saga in your graveyard. That then would have it made it better. Exactly replenish. Man, yeah. I, I would play the hell out of that card. I would play that card all day long. But you know what? It forces you also to play sagas. So I think it accomplishes both things that Wizards wants. So yeah. I, I think that'd be pretty cool. Well, let's rad. get to the uh, cards that can helm our commander decks. I'm sorry, I had to do it. It's very cheap, Murphys. I'm going with the Jeskai one. Hanada, Dawn Crowned. I, I have to. I'm, uh, I'm color- not surprised you degenerate. Yeah, I know. Colorless Jeskai guys. So uh, for four CMC, colorless, blue, red, and white. Legendary creature, Kieran Spirit. It's a 4-4 with Flying and Trample for about 350. Spells you cast cost one less to cast for each target. Spells your opponent's cast cost one more to cast for each target. Uh, I'm pretty sure Feather is going to be in this deck. Not 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 100% positive, but I think Feather will be. Um, I think Curse of the Swine exiles all my opponent's creatures for blue-blue. Seems pretty great. Um, I don't think I have to answer any other questions about this card. Murphus, this card seems maybe bannable in the future, to be frank. I. Uh- I, I wouldn't go quite that far. I think I think it's good. I think it's fine. I think it presents some play patterns that people may get tired of. Mm-hmm. But I think what it's doing really well is a is fitting in the niche of Grand August uh, Grand Arbiter Augustine the Fourth without being nearly as problematic. Well, like, that's fair. This this taxes opponent's interaction incentivizes and improves your interaction but it doesn't slow pace of play and i think that is a very cool space to be in i'm not looking forward to playing against this deck ever <laughs> never looking forward to it oh if only i could figure out ways to use curse of swine over and over and over, over. almost like a nelly song over and over again Oh, I think that's like Nelly and Garth Brooks, I think. Or Yikes, Toby that's, Keith. that's a deep cut for me. I don't know. <laughs> well, Murphus, what legendary creature wasn't such a deep cut for you? Yeah, uh, it's actually uh, the first card that we had previewed for oh. uh, for Neon Dynasty. Hit it. Talk about Toad Boy. Huh? Are you talking about Toad Boy? Not Toad Boy. Uh, we're talking Hititsugu Devouring Chaos. This was previewed all the way back, I believe, in December. Um, uh, three black, four, four, Ogre Demon at rare. Uh, 
it costs like uh, a buck 75. And then there's supposedly like a couple million dollar printings or whatever, uh, because of the weird neon variants. Um, but it reads black sacker creature scry two two R tap. So it is a Rakdos commander exile, the top card of your library and you may play it this turn. When you exile a non-land card this way, hit it to you deals damage equal to its mana value to any target. So this is playing in really similar space to prosper. Um, I like them exploring this exile matters theme in Rakdos. It it's like, two activations of that scry ability to start getting virtual card advantage scry four is um is on average going to be about a card or maybe a a little more than a card worth of value and uh turning your impulsive draw into removal or a win condition feels really powerful to me uh Exiling like a five CMC card and tagging an opposing commander like a Hinata uh, or, you know, doming somebody for seven when you when you floop a, something big and scary and also playable into exile just feels really strong to me. It's it's definitely not costed aggressively at three mana for that ability, but I like it still. I think it's going to be pretty powerful in like the mid mid-range of power levels you know what i think will make this card really pop murphus and just off the top of my head i don't know of any cards that can do this but if there are cards in magic that you know whenever a creature deals damage to uh, whenever a creature destroys another creature untap it if you can figure out ways to untap hadetsugu devouring chaos and be able to do that three mana effect over and over and over to be able to like, hey, okay, I've set up my library for these three or four cards. Let me start doing this. Okay, I'm going to pick off that, untap it. Pick off that, untap it. Pick off that, untap it. That would actually be a very cool like machine gun-like effect. Yeah, and the only card I can think of is Slow. It's Staff of Domination. Yeah. Um, and and that would do the trick. I also really like this with Sensei's Divining Top. Or oh, Miri's Guile. Yeah, that would be really good. Um. Miri's Guile's in green, so you'd have to be like Jund or Jund Plus. But like Sensei's Divining Top, being able to dictate what that CMC is. Um, when you're digging for a land, it lets you dig for a land and play that from exile. Um, but if you need to tag something, if you need to bolt something out of the air, like this, that would let you do it and let you have a lot more agency instead of being just uh, subject to the randomness of it. And the big thing is nothing on the card says sorcery speed, which is massive. That would make the card infinitely worse. A card card becomes instantly unplayable, in in my yeah. opinion, if it if that ability was keyed to sorcery speed. But uh, you still have to obey timing restrictions uh, with the card that you exile, right? But yes. the damage uh, can be done at instant speed. The exiling can be done at instant speed, which I think is really good. Well, let's wrap up this not-so-accurate set review card discussion with our specialty. So, Murphus and I had to pick a ninja or samurai, which, funny enough, Murphus, we looked at Scryfall. I was shocked. There was only 22 cards in the entire set that had ninja or samurai in the creature subtype. Did that shock you at all? Because that blew my mind. It was 
it was really shocking to me because I felt like it felt exactly. like we were being inundated, but it's it's a pretty conservative number. Mm-hmm. I would completely agree with that. Uh, and the one I want to talk about, Murphis, I feel like we're in magic in 1995 again, 1998, uh, where we have these lords that aren't actually legends. How the hell isn't Silver Furmaster a ninja legend? Literally cost a Demir to cast, blue, black, creature, rat, ninja, uncommon, 2-2 for a buck. It has ninjutsu for the exact same cost, blue and black. And it states, guys, ninjutsu abilities you activate cost one less to activate. Other ninja and rogue creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Murphys, how is this not a legendary creature? I I don't know. It feels like a really sad miss for to make a splinter uh a splinter character. Yeah. Uh, from the Ninja Turtles. I, I'm here for the Ninja Turtles uh secret layer if they ever are able to do that. But uh <laughs> uh yeah, I think this may have been a miss uh flavor wise. Yeah, I agree. The only thing I can think of, Murphys, is maybe they went through all the card design and they're like, okay, we hit the number of legends we want to be at. And they were like, but what about these others? And they're like, well, we like these other ones better. So I guess they le- get left on the chopping block. That's the only thing I can think of. Because even the art on the card, like, kind of feels like a legendary creature. Like, he's solo. He seems a little buff. Um, yeah, just... I don't know. Maybe, you know what, Murphys? Maybe here's the thing. This is a legendary in the command zone. It's too broken. It's too busted. It makes the ninjutsu too good. Uh, maybe. That that would be crazy to me. But uh, it, it it's a fine, uh, it's a fine, unique effect for the ninja deck. And lords are better, better with company. And you can actually make multiple clones of this to buff up your ninjas, which I like a lot. Very fair. Well, give us your ninja and or samurai to wrap up this card review. Yeah, I love that you did a ninja because I went the other end and did a samurai. And so I think we're we're getting the best of both worlds here. But I actually picked another legendary, uh, Goro Goro, Disciple of Ryusai. Uh, it's a 1R Goblin Samurai at rare. Uh, clocking $4, but it is not going to stay there. This card is not a $4 card. Um, R, creatures you control gain haste until end of turn. I'm here for it. Like, end text, everything else. If everything else was flavor text, I'm here for it. That is that is a very good card. Uh, being able to, at, at any point in your turn, give all creatures you control haste, is a really powerful effect and we've seen yeah, cards really that is. do that get really expensive um specifically ones that do it passively i'm thinking of concordant crossroads uh but this feels a little bit like crashing drawbridge but uh it has three rr create a five five red dragon spirit creature token with flying activate only if you control an attacking modified creature you can activate that more than once each turn so if you're in yeah. combat and you have 15 mana floating around, I guess that's that's good. I don't uh, know why Grand you have Lord, 15 mana. Uh, Grand Warlord Radha, she makes the, the gruel mana at any combination you want. It's like, uh, 
I mean, I got nothing else to do with it. Mana Sync. Yep, Mana Sync makes some dragons. And uh, I don't know the last time you you played against uh, against flying dragons, Mister Combo, but <laughs> they, they are still good. <laughs> they they close games. I I lose to flyers more often than I lose to other archetypes because they're just good. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to point out about how good this card is, guys. This is the first card the entire night that Murphys and I have been recording where the Japanese kind of flavor art appearance or anime art appearance card costs more than the full art card. Every other card we've talked about, um, the full art card is actually pre-ordering at a higher dollar amount than the anime card. So I think that shows that people are like, ooh, this card's really good. And I really want the specialty art for it. So, Murphish, you were talking earlier, this is not a $4 card. This might end up being a $10 card at the end of the day. So, be careful, because that is a telling sign. Yeah, I, I like the variant printing as uh, a speckish kind of card, because it looks really, really cool. Like It does. It looks super cool, and the effect is really powerful. Well, that's awesome. Um, let's head over to hear a little bit about our Patreon before we do some final notes on Neon Dynasty. Do you like CMD Tower content? Do you wish you could have more of it? Well, you should head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Tower. That's where we really lean on the community for help in running our channel, but also giving back to you as well. So for just literally a buck a month, you can join and get tons of soft value, opportunities to be on the show, interact with the collective in our very lively chat. And then for even just five, 15 or 25 bucks, you're gonna get swag. You're gonna get RK post tokens. Really, it's one of the best values out there patreon.com slash cmd tower so to wrap up this not so accurate set review murphis my thoughts on this is wizards did a very good job of giving us good kamigawa to where we didn't have bad fields they completely circumvented the whole cyberpunk 2077 criticism that they got when they kind of announced this is what they were going with the set and I felt like they did the Spirit Dragons perfect. I felt they did Ninjas great. I mean, hell, we just talked about it, how Ninjas and Samurais, there's only 22 of them in the entire set, yet we felt that they were constantly present throughout all of the preview seasons. So for me, knocked every single box. And I will say the new mechanics suck. I don't like them. But if I just take that away, chef's kiss. Yeah, I think... I think closing in closing i think this set did something that's hard to do and and this could be premature but it doesn't feel like we're going to be in an oko situation where there's some no. card that just busts bust magic open at the seams they navigated the like they threaded the needle of really powerful really resonant and really fun and I think that that is a really difficult thing to do as you're designing a game for so many people with so many different interests and like ways of engaging the game. 
Uh, yeah. The collector artwork looks great. The the frame treatments actually look really good. Um, the vehicles ended up being super cool. I was very they skeptical. Did. Uh, but the colored vehicles in particular ended up being super sweet. We got our first Voltron in Mech Titan core, uh, which like isn't my jam, but I'm really looking forward to getting beaten to tar by somebody who, who assembles Voltron. And, uh, I don't know. There were so many interesting and unique designs. Uh, the mechanics are fine. I, I'm not, I'm not going to die on a hill for them. I'm not down on them like, like you are. Um, I love that they brought channel back. I was not expecting that. I think the one big miss for me is that arcane wasn't, wasn't in the set. I, I hate that arcane is as parasitic as it is. Uh, but there's been enough arcane cards that are playable. Like let's just print more. Um, I also wanted soul shift. I wanted some kind of unique identity for the spirits. They gave that to them by making them enchantment creatures. But mechanically, like I wanted, Shul- I wanted Soul Shift back. I I thought that that was a really interesting space, um, but it wasn't costed well enough in original Kamigawa blocks. So yeah, uh, I, I I think Murphus though that's where the forward choice that Wizards is going down is hurting them by not doing blocks and just doing a single set in that plane for a one shot. Like what you're talking about is very interesting. And I mean, we could throw Bushido in there because that is a Kamigawa mechanic. They eventually have to say like, man, we can't have 10 mechanics in the set. We got to have three or four and we still want to introduce a couple new ones. This is really where I think their design gets hamstrung because if they could do like uh, Innistrad did with uh, Vow, uh, Crimson Vow and Midnight Hunt, you can kind of spread apart your mechanics and still be able to hit everything you want to versus got to get it all done at once. Oh, we ran out of room. Well, I guess we'll revisit it in eight years or whenever. Right. Like they had to limit space and, you know, limits are probably part of why we got so many unique and interesting designs. Um, so like even with that very light criticism of I would have liked to seen more arcane and soul shift. This card's a, th- this set is a slam dunk. Like uh, last year when Crimson Vow and Midnight Hunt came out, I was kind of whatever about both those sets. This set sure. to me hits everything I want in Magic, and so while also resonating with stuff from my childhood, like watching like dystopian sci-fi stuff and reading Isaac Asimov novels, and and watching like eighties futuristic like Cowboy Bebop kind of anime you know and so this is this is everything that i think it needed to be and i think that's a really cool place to to land a set like this so congrats watsy like hats off this was really really good well guys hopefully you enjoyed neon dynasty as much as we did and if you're looking for more of that conversation just be be sure to head over to our discord and the mtg action 4 news channel and be sure to share your thoughts on your not-so-accurate view of Neon Dynasty. Thanks for staying with us, and as always, remember the great support 
you guys really give your news team by retweeting, subscribing, following, liking, sharing. And hey, you can stay in touch with us by following us on the Twitter, the Facebook, and our Discord. Uh, and of course, our amazing website, cmdtower.com. You can communicate directly with the team at Mr. Commodore 5, all spell out except for the 5, at cmdtower, at MTG, and at underscore tcoats. Dreaming MTG action for news team. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.